Hello, and welcome to the Journey Church podcast, streaming live from Queens, New York. We're really glad that you decided to join us today. Whether you're a member, attend regularly, or this is your first time with us, we want to let you know we appreciate you. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. Well, good morning, everybody, and uh, welcome once again to the journey. So glad uh, you guys are here with us today. And uh, my name is Mike, and I'm the lead pastor here, and just honored to have you here with us today. Uh, and let's just give it up for our worship team who has been leading us here and everything. Very cool. All right. And if we can, can we get some house lights? There we go. And uh, sound man, bump me up just a hair. There we go. I know I, I hate hearing my own voice, but the, the, uh, my son wants to hear. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, my name is Mike, and I'm the lead pastor here. We also want to just welcome those who are home watching online via Facebook and YouTube. And uh, we miss you guys. Come back to the theater whenever you are ready, and we would love to have you a part, uh, connected here with our Journey family. Now, uh, we are in the middle of a teaching series here called The Grave Robber. And uh, throughout this series, we've been looking at the Gospel of John, and we've been talking about the different miracles that Jesus performed according to John's account. And uh, Jesus performed roughly about 37, 38 different miracles John only records eight of them, and three out of the eight are ones that we don't read in other of the Gospels. And so we've been looking through this series as to how to better understand our God, but also if God did what he did then, I believe God wants to do this in our day as well. And so we've been talking really deeply about that, but before we begin today, I got to tell you, when I first, before I came into the movie theater, I've got a Sunday routine. Anybody got like a Sunday routine of some sort, right? And so the Sunday routine is kind of drag myself out of bed a little bit. And now that the sun comes out much later, it's like, oh, this is so early. And what gets me going is just a good old New York City bagel. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And if you call it boggle, it's bagel, all right? Just, just want to help you out. It's a bagel. But uh, I was walking to Forest Hills Bagels got my favorite. I get it every time. Sesame bagel, butter. Somebody say praise God. Somebody say praise. Oh yes. Amen. And so one of the things about New York, let's be honest, we've got some really good eateries around New York, right? I mean, how many of us, we love some good New York city food. So, so for example, do you remember the first time that you went to a good New York City pizza joint, not named Sbarro's or Little Caesars, but a local New York City joint, right? And got a fresh slice of cheese pizza. Come on now. I'm helping you guys where you're going to lunch. Do you remember? There is nothing like one of those Shake Shack burgers. Am I right? Am I right? Right? Like uh, when we're talking about the feast in heaven, I'm pretty sure Shake Shack sauce is going to be on there, okay? Uh, how about when you went to Cat's Deli? and had pastrami. Ooh, man. Uh, we're going to go on a diet after this, all right? Uh, or how about some good old Junior's Cheesecake? Or, or No, let me bring it home to Forest Hills. Martha's Bakery. Come on now, Martha's. How many Martha's Bakery people are in the house? I never knew that I needed to have frozen hot chocolate until I went to Martha's. And then not only that, it's not even frozen hot chocolate. You got to have frozen hot chocolate with peanut butter, Man, my arteries are clogging right now as we speak, man. But, you know, in New York City, 
we've got our endless supply of meals. In fact, Rob and I, we've eaten at many different restaurants, and Rob has told me this fact is true. If you tried to eat your way into every restaurant in New York City, it is impossible because there are so many and so many new ones that open up. But if you need some help selecting a few, Rob and I could give you some good choices here. But all these meals are amazing, right? And all these different foods, if we talk about food, we could have service forever here. But what if I could tell you that one of the greatest meals ever served was not a Shake Shack burger or White Castle, no, definitely not White Castle, or not Cat's Deli or New York City pizza. But what if I could tell you that one of the most amazing meals that was ever served would almost be considered an appetizer for us. A small meal of just five loaves of bread and two fish. This meal, what if I could tell you that that meal, five loaves of bread and two fish, could literally change the course of history? Mm -hmm. I mean, would you believe me? Now, now so far, we've looked at three different miracles that Jesus performed in, in the Gospel of John. Miracle one, Jesus turned water into wine, right? And we learned through that, that when we're running out, Jesus is enough. Two weeks ago, we looked at the miracle found in John chapter four, where uh, Jesus met with a royal official and the royal official had a son who was on his deathbed and Jesus spoke the words, go back home and he will be healed. And the son was healed and he was cured. Then last week, we looked at John chapter 5, and we talked about how Jesus healed a man who was paralyzed for 38 years, and he just spoke the words, get up, pick up your mat, and walk, and the miracle happens. But today's miracle, the one that we're going to focus on today, believe it or not, this is the only miracle other than the resurrection that is listed in all four of the gospel accounts. This miracle, it is so significant that I believe it teaches us about how do we handle some of our situations in life today. And so we're going to look at John chapter 6, a lengthy chapter, but we're going to look at this miracle that Jesus performed in John chapter 6. We're going to put the verse up here above, but let's look at this together. It starts off with this. It says, after this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. Then he says, a huge crowd, everybody say huge. huge. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Now remember, Jesus only performed that we know of here, three different miracles, right? Water into wine. I'd follow Jesus if he did that, right? Uh, he heals someone with some words. He heals a paralyzed man. And all of a sudden, what we read in John chapter 6 is at this point, this is probably the largest the movement has ever been while Jesus was here on earth. It says a, a huge crowd, one that we can't even really number. They were following Jesus everywhere that he went. And the scripture goes on. It says, then Jesus climbed the hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Then he turns to Philip and he says, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. 
Now imagine here, Philip is this type A personality, right? You know how it's heard there's type A personalities, type B. Type B, they're kind of carefree, let's just live life. Type A's, don't mess with them, right? Like don't, don't mess with type A people. And I imagine here, Jesus is kind of messing with this guy, right? Like I know Philip's going to get all, all messed up and all annoyed. So let me just ask Philip for fun. Philip, how are we going to feed these people? I need you to do it. And so Philip immediately goes into calculation mode, right? And he's thinking and he's thinking and he's coming up with these numbers and he's saying, there's no chance, right? There's no chance that this is going to happen. Now, let me explain it like this. Back before we lived in New York City, we used to live in the Philadelphia metro area. And uh, my wife growing up, she is a Boston Red Sox fan. Uh, she's not here right now, so we could boo for a moment. Get, get it all out, right? Get, they did lose yesterday, this week, so they're okay. But, so she's a huge Red Sox fan, and the Red Sox were in town to play the Phillies, the baseball team. Now, here's what you need to know, all right? Us New Yorkers, we're kind of crazy, but people from Boston, they're straight up whack. People from Philly... Bad things happen in Philadelphia. Am I right? No, I'm just kidding. But, you know, all these crazy things happen. So when you bring Boston fans, Philly fans all together, you know somebody's going to get kicked out of the stadium. And so here we are watching this game and just kind of having a good time. And right in the middle of like the second or the third inning, the heavens open up and it begins to rain. Now, what does every crazy fan do when it's raining and there's no chance in watching the game at this moment? What does every fan pretty much do? They go buy some beer, right? They go and they buy beer and then they get drunk and then it's, it's really even more crazier. And so here we are at this game and it's raining and everybody's buying beer and the beer supply runs out. People from Boston, I said they're whack, right? People from Philadelphia, bad things happen in Philadelphia, right? And so when you bring all of it together and the beer supply runs out, the crowd is an extra level of craziness, right? Uh, break it down for you. Maybe you don't really care about baseball. Uh, I'll go back in, in other history to get us familiar with it. Woodstock 99, not 69, 99, 1999. There was this huge, right, all these concerts and stuff. And when the water ran out, everybody went nuts. So I could imagine here, it's a similar situation, right? This really large crowd, they're following Jesus. The disciples are probably like, man, pinch me. This is amazing. Look at all these people. Jesus teaches one of those marathon sermons that keeps going and going and going. And now the crowd is getting a little bit hungry. And Jesus turns to Philip and says, you feed them, right? Like, I know that I, I turn water into wine, but Philip, it's your turn now. You feed them. And Philip's like, uh, not me. Look at what goes on. The, next, the rest of the story, it says, then Andrew Simon, brother, uh, Simon Peter's brother spoke up. He said, there's a young boy here with what? With five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? Jesus said, tell everyone to sit down. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered 5,000. Then look at this next part here. I think this is important. It says, then Jesus took the loaves. He gave thanks to God and he distributed them to the people. Now, we're going to come back to this part in a moment, but I want you to catch right in the middle of all of this that Jesus takes time to praise God in the middle of the problem before the miracle happens. Most times we do the opposite, right? God did the miracle. Okay, I'll do my praise dance. But no, Jesus is modeling this for us. Praise God 
first before the miracle happens. Then the story ends with this. It says, afterward, he did the same with the fish. And they all ate as much as they wanted. Who ate as much as they wanted? The large crowd. It says, after everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers. How crazy is that? You start with five bread, two fish. Everyone eats is full and there's leftovers. My kind of meal, right? And then he says, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and they filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from them from the five barley loaves. Now, what do we get from this miracle? Here's one thing that I think. Sometimes God shows up. Other times God straight up shows off, right? Sometimes God will show up right in the nick of time. Other times God just gives abundance like only God could. And if we were to look at this passage through this lens of if this was all that we knew about Jesus, like let's just say for a moment that this is the only story that we know about Jesus. What does this tell us about God? Right? Let's just imagine that we don't know that Jesus is going to walk on the water or we don't know, fast forward to the end, that he's going, spoiler alert, that he's going to be crucified and rise again from the dead. Let's just imagine for a moment, this is the only piece of information we know. What does it tell us about Jesus? And I think this is what it means, that Jesus is more. Jesus is more. That he could take what little you and I have, and he could multiply it beyond our wildest imagination. So let me just ask for a moment, where do you feel small right now? What area of your life do you feel like you're running out of? Maybe for you, it's your job. You've been without a job for some time now, and maybe you're wondering, God, I'm not sure if this is the career path that you have for me. Maybe for you, it's your talent and your abilities. Maybe you feel like privately that God skipped over you when he created you. You feel like, man, I'm missing some gifts. I'm missing some talents that other people might naturally have. Maybe for you, that area that feels small is relationships. You know, on the outside, you feel like, man, I've got a lot of friends. But internally, you feel like I don't have someone that knows me, somebody that really gets me or someone that I could genuinely depend on. Maybe for you, it's your goals and dreams. You've worked so hard to get what you have, but it's not enough. And you're looking at this stage of your life right now and you're worried, are my dreams ever going to come true? Maybe for you, it's faith. And you just feel so weak. You feel like life has just beat you down and you're genuinely not sure if God is going to pull through. Look, I don't know what you're facing this morning, but what I do know is that we can always put what little we have in God's hands. And whatever little thing that we have that feels small and insignificant, when we put it in the hands of our Savior, Jesus is always more. God plus one is greater than just my efforts on my own self. And even though this miracle happened 2,000 years ago, I think there's a lot of lessons that we can learn from this, especially when we feel like we're running out of something. And so I want to give you four quick lessons that we can learn. What do we do when we feel like we're running out of something? Number one, the first thing you've got to do is you've got to move towards faith, not reason. I've got to move forward. I've got to move towards faith. And sometimes moving towards faith might mean I got to move against reason. 
Now, what I mean by this is anytime that God leads you to do something bigger than yourself, you're always going to face this crisis of belief. This moment in life when you feel like faith and reason are at two opposite ends of the spectrum. And why this is important is because what you do when you face a crisis of belief will determine what do you genuinely believe about God. Let me say that again, all right? What you do when you face a crisis of belief where you feel like faith and reason are two opposite sides, what you do at that moment reveals what you genuinely believe about God. We see this true in Philip. In fact, if we go back to our story, John 6, verses 5 through 7, he says, turning to Philip, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? And I love this. It says he was what? He was testing Philip, right? For he already knew what he was going to do. Now, that's not fair, right? But, but he was testing Philip. Philip, I don't want to say failed the test, but he got the first question wrong, right? He says, even if we work for months, we're not going to have enough money to feed these people. I can imagine Philip and the disciples. All right, if you go to Key Foods, I'm going to go to Stop and Shop. Uh, should we call the bakery before we get there to see how much they've got for 5000 Do they do catering at this hour of the night? You know. And so I imagine they're all going through these thoughts, but, but I love Jesus' test, right? You feed them. It was impossible. I mean, there was no way that they could have done it, done it on their own, but at least they tried, right? we got to give the disciples credit. But up until this point, Disciples were looking for all the answers except for the one that was right next to them, right? I mean, they saw with their own eyes, Jesus turned the water into wine. They, they, they heard with Jesus' voice of authority telling the official to go home and the son will be healed. And hearing the report later that the son was healed, they were there at the pool where they saw a guy who couldn't walk for 38 years, all of a sudden stretch out his legs, roll up his security blanket and walk home. They had seen all these things with their own eyes and still presented with a problem. They're trying to go to stop and shop, right? They're trying to figure it out on their own. And I think many times we do that. You know, for example, our marriage is on the rocks. And so we're going to do everything that we can to try and fix it, but we forget to ask for God and his help. Maybe for us, we need a new job. And so we apply to place after place after place after place but we don't take a moment to just ask God to open up that pathway that's right for us. And maybe for us, we need a financial miracle. And so we work ourselves to the bone. We get another job, a third job. We're donating plasma. We don't even know what we're donating, but we're donating plasma just to get extra funds. And we work ourselves to the bone that we forget to just ask God to help create opportunities in our time of need. You see, the word crisis translated in Greek actually is a word that means decision. And see, at its core, whenever we're faced with a crisis, we have a decision to make. Am I going to take this problem and leave it in God's hands? Or am I going to try to handle this all by myself? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it tells us this. It says, it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe not only that God exists, but that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. God could do more in one minute than you could with a thousand. And if we could just get into the habit of moving toward God in faith instead of reason and rationalizing like it depends on ourselves, 
we will realize that Jesus is more no matter what little we have. Number two, the second decision that you've got to make is you've got to operate in what you have, not in what you don't have. You've got to operate with whatever it is that you've got instead of worrying about what you don't have. Now, back in the day, uh, as I shared, I was a youth pastor, right? And what's the number one job of a youth pastor? It's really just make sure the kids stay alive. Whatever event it is, make sure they sign a release form and they stay alive. And uh, so on one particular trip, we had this, what we would call youth convention, where all the kids, all the youth groups would meet together in the state of New Jersey at the time. They would have a big rally, rah, rah, rah. And then they would, you know, sing praises, Jesus, hear a message. And then afterwards, they'd be like, now you guys go do something. Go have fun. So what do you do with like a group of 30 or 40 teenagers and you don't have much time? You go to the mall, right? The mall is like everything. Back in the day, you went to the mall. And so I'm showing my age here. But so we went to the mall and all these kids were kind of like, we're bored. What do we do? And so we came up with this little game called Bigger or Better. How many guys have ever heard of this game? Bigger or Better. Let me tell you what the game is. All right. Don't play this today at the mall or anything. But we gave we broke up all the youth into two teams and we gave both of them a penny. And we told them, can you go to each store and ask them, I'll trade you a penny for something bigger or better and see what they say and and try not to get kicked out. Right. And so they went from store to store and we gave them about 45 minutes to see how well they did. And I got to tell you, it was pretty crazy, actually. Both the teams came back. The first team came back. You know, pastor, we started with a penny. Look at this. We got a dartboard from Dick's Sporting Goods. Wow. Wow, How did that work? Uh, They took the item. They traded it, went to the next store, traded it for something else, and worked their way all the way up to the dartboard. The other group comes in just as excited. So I'm like, man, the dartboard's pretty good. I don't know how you're going to beat this one. The other group comes in. They say, we went to Best Buy, and we gave them the penny and asked them, could they get us something bigger or better? And they gave us an iPod photo. Now, again, I'm showing my age. iPod photo was the deal back in the day. They gave us an old iPod photo that doesn't really work anymore. We plugged it in. It worked just fine. It just needed a charge. Man, these guys, and and the cops did not come after us, so they didn't steal, okay? We weren't promoted. But it was this cool game, this cool weird thing of how we learn bigger or better. You could start with something small and trade your way and work your way up into something significant. And, And let's face it, in America... We love that story, right? We would cast movies all the time of someone that started with adversity, someone that had nothing that all of a sudden works their way up to significance with what little that they have. Now, in our life, when we need a miracle, we focus on what we don't have rather than what we do have, right? If I could just get a job or get promoted, or if I could just be more like this person, or if I could just make more money and the list just keeps going. But remember, One of our key themes, and I shared this in week one of our series, is that you have everything you need to do all that God is calling you to do today. Sometimes the answer is not what's out there for tomorrow. It's just being faithful with what God has given you today. And if you would stop looking at what you don't have and instead look at what do you have, I believe things will begin to change. Now, remember in our story, right? Jesus is testing Philip, the analytical one. He's about to go to stop and shop. He's already placed a seamless order to order bread. And all of a sudden, everything stops. 
in John chapter 6, verses 8 through 9, it says, Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. He said, There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. Now, I can imagine at this moment, Philip is just like facepalm. Buddy, five loaves, two fish, 5,000 men, plus women, children. Get this guy out of here. What are we doing? But see, many times, God cannot do the supernatural if we're not willing to pull our weight and do the natural. And I don't know what you're facing this morning, but what I genuinely believe is that if you put what little you have in God's hands, he will always make a lot out of a little. Don't let what you don't have keep you from giving what you do have to Jesus. In fact, we read this in one of Jesus' parables. He talks about this in a teaching to his disciples. He tells a parable about this master who approaches his servants by giving one of them 10 talents or 10 things of money, and then another five, and then another person one. And the parable goes on. It says that the one who received 10 multiplies it to 10 more. And and when he multiplies it, look at what the master says. Matthew 25, verse 23. It says, then the master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let us celebrate together. You see, God cannot give you a miracle until you're willing to give him what you've got first. So operate in what you do have, not what you don't. Number three is you've got to recognize God's work before it happens. Recognize God's work before it happens. You see, whenever we're faced with a crisis or or some sort of situation where we need a miracle desperately, it's easy to worry. The disciples, they were freaking out. They're like, man, I got this internship with Jesus. We're not even going to pay for this. How am I going to pay for this seamless order, right? And they're freaking out. What am I going to do? I can't overcome this problem. This is the end of the movement. But see, worry, it, it does funny things to us, doesn't it? Worry will often distort the problem making the problem seem much bigger than what it really is. And I think the most dangerous side effect of worry is that it causes us to look past God for our time of need. And I think that's one of the reasons why Jesus, before he does anything, he stops the disciples and he stops the crowd and he prays. And we read this story so quickly that we almost miss it. John 6, verse 11, it says, Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and then he distributed them to the people. You see, before the miracle, he takes time to thank God. And I think there's no coincidence that it's in our story. I think John makes sure that he writes this in the story for us as readers to pay attention and understand this, that Jesus is thanking God for something he doesn't have yet physically. He thanks his father for something that hasn't yet happened. Now, I don't know about you, but could it be that the reason why you're not getting that miracle that you hope for, could it be because you haven't stopped to thank God in advance for it? Maybe for you, you're too focused on this problem, how you're never going to overcome the situation, how you're never going to find hope, how it's going to take a miracle and then some for this to work out, and you've forgotten That through Jesus, you're more than a conqueror. That through Jesus, you can do all things 
through Christ who gives you strength. Through Jesus, you have everything you need to overcome whatever challenge it is that you're facing this morning. Maybe you're here right now where you're stuck in your faith. Maybe you're stuck in your career and it's not what you were hoping for. Maybe your marriage is in a rut right now. No matter how bad the situation is, there's always an opportunity to thank God in the midst of the storm. Focus on the good, not the bad, and have the faith and confidence that God is going to take care of the rest. I love it how it says this in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us the assurance about the things that we cannot yet see. So what do we do when we're facing a problem? When we feel like we're running out of what little we have. We've got to focus on faith, not reason. We've got to operate in what we have, not in what we don't have. We have to take time to thank God, focus on God instead of the problem. And then the last part, the fourth step, the fourth decision is then we confidently expect the supernatural, not the natural. We can confidently expect the supernatural, not the natural. You see, in the natural world, it's easy to think that when you give or give more, in the end, you're going to have less than what you originally started with. But in God's economy, it's different than that. In God's economy, 5 plus 2 doesn't equal 7. 5 plus 2 equals 5,000, remainder 12. Uh, in fact, let's look at our passage here, and we'll, we'll get to that. John chapter 6, verse 13, it says, So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. Now think about that. We started with five. We fed a whole crowd. And now we've got 12 baskets left over. We've got infinitely more than what we started with. Now, to be honest, I'm kind of a critical thinker. And I don't know if you're like me. When I read the Bible, I think like really analytically, really, really critically. And in a crowd of 5,000 people, I find it really hard that only one boy has lunch, right? I mean, I find it really hard that only one boy in 5,000 people actually packed a lunch. I, I doubt that he was the only guy there with some food. But what makes this story remarkable is he was the only one willing to sacrifice, right? He was the only one willing to give whatever he had. And because of it, he became a hero and God used this sacrifice to feed a great crowd. The point is this. In order to do a miracle, God always starts with what you have. He could take our time and multiply it. He could take our finances and bless it. He could take our talent and put us in places that we could never imagine that we would go. But to do all of that, we've got to be willing to put whatever it is in God's hands. And just to ask, if you were that boy in the crowd that day, would you have the faith to give your lunch to Jesus? Wow. Or would you have been like, ah, I don't know, my mom packed me this, this is for me, uh, I want to keep it for myself, I mean, I like this type of fish, it's tilapia, no, don't eat tilapia, no, you know, this is my good time, right? Would you sacrifice your meal so that others could benefit, or would you keep what you've got and miss out on the miracle. You see, I believe God is asking the same question to us today, but also to, to us as a church as a whole. Uh, let me break it down for us in this context. 
right here, our church is positioned in central Queens in Forest Hills. And I would say that Forest Hills is desperately hungry, not physically, but spiritually. I mean, over 70,000 people call Forest Hills their home, and we would say that about 1%, 2% claim to be Christian. 2.3 million people live here in Queens with over 1.9 million not attending church on a regular basis. Our community, Central Queens, is desperately spiritually hungry. We are desperate for a need of God's touch. And I believe that God is looking at our church and he's saying, look at the crowds. The crowds are hungry. And he's saying the same words that Jesus said to Philip, you feed them. And what do I mean by that? Well, if we look at our community, we've got amazing opportunities to impact our community, right? Our church has not only weathered the storm of survival in the beginning, right? Like our first few years, Rob and I, we joked earlier today about slim pickings back then, and we would pray literally for the power to stay on so that way we could have a service and stuff. But, you know, God has taken our church and multiplied it and grown it. Yes, we had an 18-month period that we could not meet physically because of the pandemic, but here we are. We're still standing, and we are strong. And I would say in some cases, we are stronger than ever. We've got opportunities to plant other churches in our city that we've done year after year. We've got opportunities to partner with crew to make sure that no family this Thanksgiving experiences a Thanksgiving without a meal together. We've got opportunities to partner with New York City Relief Buses. They've been overwhelmed by the homelessness in our city of these past 18 months. We've got the opportunity to help our spiritually dry area of Queens and to serve them. And so how do we give of our lunch to someone in need? I think the answer is simple. And I think sometimes we make it more complex than what it is, but really it's, it's our generosity. It's through our tithes and our offerings. Now, maybe you grew up in church and you had this guy in a slick three-piece suit and he's pointed like this, never point like that in the camera. He always got a point like this and said, if you would give of your money, I'm going to send you oil from Jerusalem. And it was just Cisco from a kitchen. And you're like, come on, man. And maybe you've got these jaded viewpoints of like what it means to give or what it means to tithe. But in reality, just to kind of make it as simple as possible, we believe tithing is scriptural. We believe it's not something of the past, but it's something of today. And tithing is simply that we come back to God and we give him the first 10% of all that we earned back to the local church and back to other ministry areas as well. Now, the reason why we believe in the tithe is one, Jesus says it, but two, if you look around at our community today, what is, what is killing our city more than anything? What is killing our country today more than anything? Politics? No, please, let's not talk about politics. What's killing our country and our city today more than anything is the grip of greed, that I want more. And more is not enough. I need even more. And if it takes squeezing what little I can out of you to get more, I want more. And why tithing is so important is it releases the grip of greed in our life. and says that if I am created in the image of God, so are you. And I need to be there for my brother and for my sister. And so what I want to ask you to do is to prayerfully consider 
this thing called the tithe, to give back to God 10% of what you earn. And I'm going to challenge you just for the next three months. Because what you do and how you give, it not only matters for our church, but it matters for our community as well. Look at Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. Jesus talks about this, and it says, While Jesus was in the temple, he watched the rich people dropping in their gifts in the collection box. Then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, this poor widow is given more than all the rest of them. For they've given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, as poor as she is, she has given everything that she has. When we give what little we can to God, God always multiplies it. And so I want to challenge you. You've got that connection card that you came here with this morning. On the back of that connection card, the second next step, I'm going to challenge our church. Let's journey through this together for the next 90 days. Let's make a radical decision to be generous with what God has given us, to tithe, to give that first 10%. Try it for 90 days and see how it goes these next three months. Now, one of the things that I know is every time that we've challenged our church to, to do something, whether it's serving, whether it's giving, whether it's some sort of community drive, church always in our history, you've stepped up and in many ways beyond belief. You've always knocked it out of the park. And I've been humbled every year to watch not only our generosity, but our faithfulness in serving our community today. Yes, we have a rich history as a church. The last 12 years, we could say what little we've had as a church. We've done our best to give it to God and watch him multiply it. But if I could be honest, church, our city needs us bad. They need to hear our voice, not of condemnation and not of hate, but a voice that says, I'm going to roll up the sleeves and serve and get involved because that's what Jesus would do. Look at our last verse here, John chapter 3, verse 16. A great passage, it says, For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And what I love about this, if we keep this verse up here for a moment, it says, For God's great love for us was modeled in what? In, in giving. He gave everything for us. And if we were to take this verse and kind of twist it back to us, and if it were to read this, for you, for, for I, for, for the Journey Church, so loved God that we what? How do we model that love back to God? True love is always modeled through sacrifice, through giving. So I want to challenge you today to pray about it. What can I do to model the same love, but to desperately feed our city, our community that needs to know about the love of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's take a moment. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for this day and this time. Lord, I thank you for the, the important words that we've been able to hear today. And Lord, help us to realize that when we give you what little we have, you could always make an impact out of it, Lord. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to, to take these steps, right? To move away from reason and move toward faith. To not look at what we don't have, but to start to look at what things you have given us. To focus on the blessing, to take time to pray and praise you for the miracle, even if we're still waiting on you to move in that miracle. 
Lord, I pray you help us to expect the supernatural and not to operate in the natural anymore. God, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.